What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 12 of season two. I am your host, Kurt Field. And it is your boy, Turkey Boy Bruno. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Welcome to Thanksgiving week. I know it's a little crazy of a year. I know some people are doing more or less than, or probably not more, but less than they might usually be doing. I'm so excited for Thanksgiving. There's still going to be football on. Still going to eat some food. Kurt, quick, quick question. What is your favorite Thanksgiving food? I, well, for those who don't know me, I am quite the picky eater. I'm, I'm a picky eater. Um, a lot on my plate is the same color on Thanksgiving. <laughs> There's not a whole lot of variety to it, but I think stuffing is my favorite. I think the stuffing is my favorite. Um, I'm also a whore for mashed potatoes. So <laughs> we all, yes, I mean, we are. Here's a question, Bruno. Don't make it weird. White meat or dark meat for Turkey. I'm big white turkey guy. Again, not making it weird. That's just always what I have been. Honestly, I haven't really like gone to the dark side, literally and physically and figuratively, if you will, in in quite a while. Uh, I've just been doing it because you know they say consistency is key. That's why I'll never change. Maybe I'll try something new this year. Odds are likely that I won't. Happy Thanksgiving, anyways. In the field household, Sandy and myself are white meat people, and Brad and Connor are the dark meat guys. So, hey, nice even split. There you go. Variety, baby. It's variety. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, a lot to unpack this week. A lot to unpack this week in terms of so many different games on the NFL slate. Um, We had some, a lot of games that I was really, really excited for this week. I don't know about you, Bruno, but um, there were some duds and there were some, some really good ones too. Obviously, the Patriots game, we will unwrap that. Blech. Blech. Yuck. (laughs) <laughs> simply yuck. simply um, food but you know we'll get to that in the later half of this oh part. we'll get there we'll get there uh same old thing bruno let's just let's just get right into this rundown let's okay? do it let's start uh really really good thursday night football game mm-hmm. uh on uh thursday <laughs> no shit kurt that's a really good football game <laughs> thursday night football game on a uh, thursday well you know great um anyway the cardinals take the l to the seahawks they lose 28 21 Obviously, this was a huge game for playoff implications, but also for the NFC West because uh, the Cardinals had already beaten the Seahawks once this year. So this game, I'd argue, is more important for Seattle to to win. Otherwise, Seattle drops to six and four, and then they have their two games back because they've lost the Cardinals twice. And it would have just been a, opened up a whole can of worms. And now they've kind of positioned themselves very nicely moving forward. Um, but the top of that division is still incredibly crowded with the with the Seahawks, Rams, and Cardinals. Yeah, you laid the scene, set the foundation brick by brick, if you will, pretty nicely there. Not only did they need this because they had already lost the Cardinals, as you said, but the Seahawks coming into this game had been on kind of a losing streak. They hadn't been playing as well. We were talking, I think, when we were previewing this game, we were talking about how the Cardinals were coming with all the momentum after their Hail Mary. I was of the mindset, I think we share the mindset for our team, thinking that would propel them. I don't know if that was, you know, cause a little bit of a trap game mentality or whatever it was, but regardless, regardless, the Seahawks needed this game pretty bad. And, you know, we can get a little bit into it, but I'm impressed that the Seahawks did not have Chris Carson. And then they also didn't have their other, I forget the other running back that they didn't have. There was someone else that was out as well. So they had to end up going with like Carlos Hyde and some other guys. Not that Carlos Hyde is terrible, but the, the fact that again, when you have your main running backs out, right, and you already know that Russell is already like they're letting him throw the ball a ton, it's almost it becomes almost a little bit of more dim- one dimensional. So not only were they able to have a decent rushing attack despite that, but also they were able to get some work done over the air too when the Cardinals knew they could prepare for a lot of Russell Wilson. That was impressive to me. Yeah, I, I completely agree with everything you just laid out there. Um, 
What I will say is I think, well, I kind of think this kind of puts the Seahawks in the driver's seat kind of going forward here. Obviously, the Rams are tied with them at the top of that division. Um, Gut instinct. Go with your gut, Bruno. Where do you kind of obviously we have, you know, a little ways to go here. But where do you kind of see this playing out for the NFC West? Because I think aside from the NFC East for all the like wrong reasons, I think this is like the most exciting division race we got going. Yeah, you nailed it. I mean, it, this division is incredible. My gut right now, and again, maybe this is a little recency bias or whatever, my gut says that the Rams come out on top. I think that they had an, an interesting start to the season. They had a couple ups and downs, but they seem to be playing their best football right now. When you talk about the Rams right now, they're doing enough on offense, but their defense is going crazy, right? So, like, if we were to look at potentially a... I don't do the Seahawks and Rams play again. I don't know if they've already played. twice. Uh, I think they do play again at the end of the season. Okay. So theoretically, and I'm just clicking on them. Yeah, they play. So the Seahawks end the season with Rams and 49ers in back to back weeks. If it comes down to that Rams game. So like that could decide it. The Rams secondary is playing out of their mind. And so that is something to me that could tip the scales for them. But I, I think as you said it pretty nicely, the Seahawks are definitely still up there. I could see it going either way. Kind of. It just feels like the Cardinals are just a little too inconsistent at this point. They've had some high highs. They've had some low low. Like they lost the Lions and a couple other bad losses. So it feels like to me that it's it's shaping up to be a Seahawks-Rams race. Yeah, and I think the Rams are kind of the forgotten team in all of this because everyone was so like the Cardinals are a fun team to talk about. They obviously have D-Hop. They have a good, a really good offense. They have Kyler who you know, Kyler is what he is. Um, and the Seahawks are have been, you know, relevant for quite some time. And I'm not saying the Rams haven't, but I think they were kind of slept on a little bit. I mean, I'll be honest. I I kind of forgot about them and now they're becoming more and more relevant. But um I, I like I like that pick. I could definitely see the Rams making some noise here down the stretch. So we'll see what we'll see what happens. But a, a big win for Seattle on Thursday night. Moving right along. Okay. One of those dumpster fire teams from the NFC East, the Philadelphia Eagles took another L to drop them to first place at three, six and one. Um, they lose 22 to 17, 22, 17 to Cleveland. And I don't know how, but we are entering week 12 of the NFL season or no 11 week, 11, 12. We're entering week 12. We're entering a period of time, a period of time. And the Cleveland Browns are seven and three. Yeah, and I not gonna lie to you, I think I saw a tweet that was like the Browns are like six and zero or seven to go, seven and zero against teams over five hundred and zero and three against teams. Wait, I'm no, sorry, I said that wrong. Six and zero against teams under five hundred and zero and three against teams over five hundred. So, not gonna lie to you, like one of the first steps you have to take in transitioning to a good team is being able to beat the bad teams. So, like on one one side, you should look at this like, okay, at least the Browns are beating the bad teams. But on the other hand, it's like it seems kind of like just one of those records where it's just like you put them against any good team or any team decent or even in the playoffs. And it doesn't seem great for the Browns, though. I will say they have been they have sustained a tremendous amount of injuries. I just saw Denzel Ward for the Browns again today is injured. Their defense has been rocked by injuries. So at least they're, you know, holding it down like they are. Right. And they uh, they do have some tough ones, you know, down the stretch here, obviously. So looking at their schedule because they have positioned themselves right now. They are the sixth seed. In the AFC East, uh, not the AFC East, in the AFC overall for the playoffs and whatnot. Right. And they're currently sitting at second place in the division ahead of Baltimore. Mm-hmm. Um, but they have games at Tennessee, they're home versus Baltimore, and then they have a game versus Pittsburgh later. So that's potentially three more losses for them. Yeah. Um, and then the other games, they, sh- they should be able to handle themselves just fine. 
Right. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. Um, it's it, it's interesting to me because it's just Cleveland's never been in the discussion really uh, at this point of the season. They've always faded by now. So it's interesting to have them there, you know? Yeah. And honestly, like good for them. I mean, you don't go from like zero to a hundred real quick unless you're Drake. So I don't think that the Browns are necessary, like the expectations for them. Okay. Let me take a step back. They did have that hype. I think either last year or two years ago where people were like, you know, they're going to go crazy. So I guess we did the expectations were sky high, but in reality, right. To, to build your way up, to be like a good successful team, it's starting with what they're doing now. So like, I think almost no matter what, the fact that they've consistently beat the bad teams this year is a good sign. And then like, you know, say they get a playoff game i don't what would the is it just straight up like so one gets a buy so it's so two, one seven, gets three, a buy, six, yeah, four, yeah. five two yep exactly so three would be not the chiefs not the nfc north it would be the what division would that be probably maybe probably the bills the, probably the bills at the three seed probably yeah and honestly like the bills are good sure but like that you they're putting themselves the browns are putting themselves in a position to potentially maybe seal a game of playoffs so um, I know we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, like you said, but still, I mean, you know, the outlook is at least, you know, at least they're doing what they're doing now for the Browns. Switching quickly to the Eagles, because we don't have to spend a ton of time on this, but the Eagles, man, I mean, how many weeks have we sit, sit, sat here and said the Eagles are Tarsh, Carson Wentz is Tarsh, when are they going to Jalen Hurts? It's I, We say the same things every week. Right? We're a broken record. Right. It's, it's there. I think... Mm. I'm trying to think of who I think the, the which team I would label the biggest disappointment so far in 2020. And I think I think it's them. I think it's the Eagles, because like I've mentioned multiple times here or on the pick six uh, Instagram lives is that they've been almost handed this division on a silver platter. And they're they're just so inept and so dumb and so poorly coached that it's like. <laughs> I have I, there's nothing else to say about them. They're garbage, and I, if they make if they make it into the playoffs, it's, it's a travesty, right? And honestly, like like you said, the other disappointing teams have largely been either due to injuries or like if you want to toss in teams like Vikings or Falcons. But again, those teams do this every year. It almost seems like so. It's like are they right. really in a disappointment or is that what it is? I completely agree with you. The Eagles that this should have been their division to lose, and like maybe it still is. I mean, technically they're still in first by a, the virtue of their tie. But I mean, with the Giants playing well and the Cowboys seemingly getting back on track this week, you know, we'll we'll have to see how that ends up. Yeah, we will. And speaking of those uh, those dirty birds, those Falcons you just mentioned, who do this every single year, <laughs> they uh, they took another L this week. They dropped the three and seven after losing to Taysom Hills, New Orleans Saints, twenty four to nine. Obviously, the storyline in this game is Taysom Hill. What a performance! What a performance, Bruno. What are your initial takeaways? Well, you know, quick shout out to Brett LeClaire for uh, being the smart guy in our league and put it, playing him at tight end of fantasy. I don't think he needed him to win, but he won anyway. So also shout out to Kurt Field for putting him in his other league and having him score 24 points. There, there you go. Um, I don't know if this game is enough to really not that people are saying this. I don't think this is enough so far for what we've seen to form a definitive opinion on Taysom Hill, right? A, it's the Falcons. Their defense has been decimated by injury and is also not that good to begin with. B, he had two rushing touchdowns, right? So, like, that doesn't really change our opinion from what we knew he could already do. So, I think what they're the Saints are doing, right, is that they have an upcoming stretch of games. They're playing the Broncos this week, then the Falcons, and then the Eagles. And I think what, what I'm hearing is that they're going to try to audition Hill as long as he's playing well over those next three games, and then the, the fourth game in that stretch is against the Chiefs, and then Drew Brees theoretically will be healthy by then. So I'm interested to see how Taysom Hill keeps playing. I really definitely want to see him 
throw it some more and show that proficiency there. I mean, Michael Thomas is coming back, so like it seems like a good time to let him try. So I, I, it was a good start, obviously. It'll be interesting, though, to see how he keeps playing. Well, Michael Thomas finally got back into the mix. Like, like he's been active. I think this was his second or third week active um, re- since coming back from injury or whatever fight, whatever he did. Yeah. <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. But, yeah, he had a good performance. He had over 100 yards for the first time this season. Thank God. Yeah, um, but you're you're spot on again, Bruno. I mean, you usually are, but you're spot on again. And Taysom Hill, there's still a lot to be seen. You know, let's not get too let's not buy into it too, too early here because he did rush for two. He only threw the ball 23 times. Yes, he was, he was efficient. Um, but again, I think if, especially against bad defenses like Atlanta's is you can scheme up things to allow your quarterback to be efficient. Obviously the right. hilt went out there and executed it, but I'd give, I'd give Sean, um, Sean Payton a lot of credit for that too. Right. Um, so a, a good win for the Saints. They're now eight and two in the season, and they look like they could be running away with the NFC South. It's it's true. I mean, let out a little sneak preview for later. But yeah, definitely looks like that could be their division to lose. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of losing, um, Bam. the Cincinnati Bengals lost the game. But more importantly, they lost their quarterback, uh, Joe Burrow, you know, has been on a rampage this season. He's given. He's the only bright spot in that goddamn city. I don't know what Cincinnati is known for, but uh, probably nothing important. Um, it's simply- <laughs> Damn, ricochet shot at Cincinnati. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Look at me. It's because I spelled Cincinnati wrong on a spelling test. And oh, my God. I think Never I- forget. Never forget. That second N just always tripped me up. Um, oh, damn. Oh, God, Cincinnati. But all- <laughs> the only bright spot they've had is Joe Burrow. Right. And now, I mean, it- the injury was so bad and so much worse Ugh. than expected that they're not even sure he'll be ready for next year at all. So torn ACL, torn MCL, meniscus in issues. Um, so again, they lose twenty to nine to Washington, but they they lose their their franchise quarterback too. Yeah, and this just you know taking it one step further. I've seen a bunch of you know like not only were the Bengals you know not necessarily having that great of a year anyways, but I've I saw some reports and stuff on Twitter today that said Bengals locker room not very happy with the coaching staff. So to me, this almost kind of signals that. It might be this might be Zach Taylor's ending run as coach of the Bengals. I almost feel like, right, like if you have Joe Burrow recovering from an injury, you want to put him in the best position to succeed. Maybe you draft offensive line at the top of the draft and maybe you just start over the brand new coach. I don't know necessarily what they're going to do, but like maybe they would have played. They would have ended with a better record this year if Joe Burrow hadn't gotten hurt now for sure you know they're probably on pace to lose every single game ryan finley is their quarterback huge yikes uh sucks for all the aj green or t higgins fantasy owners because that they're gone now so not much to say you covered it all for the bengals the only quick thing i'll say about the washington football team again i think it's going to come down to the divisional games for that division so like good for them for you know padding their record a little bit with this win over a non-divisional team their defense like yes the bengals lost show burrow and they are not you know crazy to begin with but their defenses had some good games so maybe that's you know maybe the washington football team is a sleeper pick in the nfc beast who knows absolutely and it's um it's exciting for alex smith too who got his first win since coming back from when his like blew up so yep. um it's uh again uh, anyone but philadelphia i don't care who wins the nfc east i'm just so over the fucking eagles i just yep. don't want it to be them same with me um <laughs> here we go here's a good one oh, all right uh i don't know if any of y'all caught our pick six <sighs> on um on sunday afternoon 
but we had a little a little chat with uh with one of Bruno's friends who uh is a Lions fan and who was telling us, you know, all about his Lions expertise, including how much he likes the uniform color of the Lions. Mm. And um we we threw it in as a as an extra pick this week for you know for the fans, for the people. Give the people what they want, Bruno. Uh, what did the Lions give us this week, Bruno? You you tell you tell the fans what the Lions gave us. Well, I don't think the Lions gave us anything, just to be completely honest, because they lost maybe the worst game in NFL history. They lost 20 to nothing to a Carolina Panthers team without their starting quarterback, starting XFL legend PJ Walker at quarterback, and the Lions did not put up a single point. Yes, I think the Lions were missing both Kenny Galladay and DeAndre Swift. It's not like this Carolina defense is the 1985 Bears, so to speak. You know what I mean? To not put up a single point, I mean, huge yikes. And that's almost a personal attack on your boy Brundog. I picked, I didn't have, we didn't have to do this bonus Lions pick. We didn't have to do that. We did it. And what do the Lions do? Shit down my throat, Kurt. They, so they, I, they human centipeded you. They did. And I don't, you know, I'm not, we're not specifying who's in the front and who's in the back, but it doesn't matter because either way it's a centipede. So I'm going to have to talk to Matsky, but the Lions might be on my dead board forever because that was pathetic. You know, there, I don't, there, is there any takeaways from this game? No, no, right? there's, like, no we... there's no takeaways. Otherwise, PJ Walker looked competent. Uh, yeah, good, good for him. Up. Good for him. Uh, Matt Patricia, if he is not fired at the end oh of the season. Oh, my God. Regardless of what the Lions' record is, if he is not fired, oh, they, boy, did they mess up. They messed up. Yeah, and it, this is so much like the Jaguars' Week One victory against the Colts that the Lions beating the Cardinals earlier this season is going to go down as one of the weirder wins of the season because seeing this team continue to play, it's like, bruh, what? Like, how did that team beat the Cardinals? Exactly, it makes no sense. Uh, speaking of which, I wasn't paying attention to the next game very much at all. And I I was looking, and on the little ticker in the second quarter, the Jaguars and the Steelers are tied three to three. And I was like, no way. Are the Jaguars going to be in the game? They were in the game against Green Bay two weeks ago, if you remember that one. Mm -hmm. Like, no way. Like, we're not doing this again, are we? And uh, no, we were not doing that again. The the Steelers ended up blowing them out 27 to three. They moved to 10 and 0. And I know we've talked about it. They have a legit shot to go if they have a legit chance to go undefeated yeah so really quickly for this game before we move on to your point which is way more interesting to talk about i think this almost was a classic trap game they just came out and expected to roll them over and so once they woke up obviously then they were like okay let's play Uh, again i don't there's not much to take away from this game maybe from the jaguars good for you for starting jake lutton luton however you say it i don't think he's the answer you know not that it's necessarily all on him but like you know you gave him a shot whatever you know we'll see what the jaguars do for qb however on to your interesting point though which is steelers going undefeated there are two games that to me seem like well maybe a couple but you know it seems like the the next two games at least are going to be really important right number one we have them playing the ravens this thursday on thanksgiving now obviously as of right now because that game is that game is in flux of being oh true true raven yeah ravens have had some covid whatever so I guess you could say that whether it's on Thanksgiving or later in the season, I'm assuming they would still play later. So like whenever that game happens, right, you know, the Ravens are going to be pissed because the Steelers beat them the first time it could determine the division. So that's the biggest game. Right. But then like any of these other games, the Steelers just have to be careful. They don't do the classic trap game mentality. 
you could get away with that against the Jaguars. But if they roll into, say, like the Colts game they have later in the season, you know, theoretically, the Colts are a team that could maybe take advantage of the Steelers sleepwalking a little bit. So I would say, though, if you said, let's make it interesting, right, Kurt? If you said, will they go undefeated? Fuck it. Yes. My answer is no. Fuck it, Kurt. Yes. All right. You just full send. You went full, full send. Fuck it. Fuck it. But like at the same time, I've, I've like hand up. I all season long, I've been like, yeah. The Steelers are like, you know, they're not that good of a football team. They just have, you know, a lot of good wide receivers. Their defense is okay. Well, I'm wrong. Like, that that team's good. That's a really good club. Mike Tomlin has done a phenomenal job with them, and I've been really tough on Mike Tomlin in the past. If you guys have heard me talk about football, I'm not really a big Mike Tomlin fan. He's been a, a master, a wizard this year with them. So uh, good for good for Pittsburgh. They're, they're, they're low-key a likable team. So uh, it's, I don't know, good for them. Yeah, and two quick things based off what you said. Um, number one, it'd be a real shame if I just jinxed it. And, you know, I would be very upset if me just saying they're going to go undefeated right now just jinxes it and they lose to the Ravens. You, uh, yeah, that, you would saying be torn they're up going inside. undefeated, right? You said undefeated? Yes. Yeah, going undefeated. Yeah, well, hopefully we're not jinxing the undefeated talk for the Pittsburgh yes. Steelers. Of going hopefully, undefeated. Of going undefeated and not losing a single game. That would be, I would be very torn up about that if that happens. So, you know, the little mind game's going on there. But number two, Kurt, I just took a look at the schedule really quick. How fucking funny would it be they're 15 and 0 going into the Browns in the last game of the season? And then the Browns are like, psych, no undefeated season. That would be funny. That'd be that funny. would be hilarious. So That would be funny. I yeah. just. Mm. We'll see. There, that's a storyline to watch as we move forward right. here. Of course, of course. Sticking in that same division, the, the Steelers division. Okay, mm-hmm. their their foe, their counterpart for a long, for many many years, the Baltimore Ravens have now dropped two games in a row after falling in overtime to the Tennessee Titans, thirty to twenty four this week. Congrats to Bruno for picking this game correctly. Congrats to Kurt for not picking it correctly. You <laughs> idiot. Um, <laughs> It's so weird watching the Titans play because they were down again. Like, uh, what was it? Uh, 21 to 10, I think. Yes, they were down 11 points, 21 to 10. And I was like, oh, okay, Baltimore's got it. But, like, Baltimore finds ways to lose games. And I I don't care. I don't mind it because I hate Baltimore. I hate John Harbaugh. And I hate Lamar Jackson. So it's like, fine. But I don't know how they allowed Tennessee to win this game. It shouldn't have gotten to that point. Well, Kurt, let me let me tell you when I knew that my pick was going to win. I don't know if you saw this before the game. All these reports came out, a little dust up in the before the game, a little nonsense. Apparently, I don't know like the, all the exact details, but apparently the Titans before the game decided to warm up or have a, a a little party time on the Ravens logo at midfield. Apparently, John Harbaugh found out about it, got very upset, upset about it, like classic Harbaugh just being a little bitch about everything. Comes out in the field, starts screaming at the players. Apparently, there was a little spicy Malcolm Butler, John Harbaugh action going on. We know their history there. So that was before the game. That's the last thing that the Ravens should have done is fire up these Texans because these Texans came out. Uh, sorry, Texans. These Titans came out, didn't give a fuck. They said, we're going to dominate you physically. We'll spot you a little 11-point lead. We'll let you have some hope heading into overtime. And then Derrick Henry is going to run the ball down your fucking throat. Give that, uh, ra- give those ra- Ravens that fat L. Oh, just electric. I love the Titans. I really do. I love, oh, yeah. I love Mike Vrabel. I love the oh, yeah. big dick energy that he just walks around with. Um, and you're right. That's exactly what happened. The Titans ran out of the tunnel uh, right to the um, right to the logo. And then just <laughs> were hanging out on the logo. And Harbaugh had something up his vagina and he was all upset yep. about it. And he came out there and I guess him and Vrabel had to be separated. I'm like, 
Would you ever go fuck with Mike Vrabel? Yikes. And, oh, I forgot to say this. Harbaugh didn't even shake Vrabel's hand after the game. He, like, waved it away. Like a little fucking bitch. He, like, yeah, what a no. Because you lost. Like, go take your L. You're not Jameis Winston. There's no eating W's tonight. Okay, you're going no, You're going to take the L. Done. Yep. So, good for the Titans. That Big win for them after losing to the Colts last week. Really nice rebound for them. I would love to see Baltimore just start to spiral. Just to spiral out of control and, like, hit, shit hit the fan. Yeah, and, I mean, there were a couple of worrying signs if you are a Ravens fan from this game. Number one, did you see A.J. Brown's touchdown for the Titans? Yes. he One of the more beast mode touchdowns you'll see basically caught the ball around like the 15 or 10 yard line just shed tacklers left and right muscles way into the end zone is incredible that combined with derrick henry just sending them home that has to be a backbreaker right and then you have lamar after the game being like you know i guess our guys didn't want to fight like you know whatever blah blah saying all these weird comments it's like bro i don't know what's going on in baltimore i know they've had some injuries to their defense as well but like you know again kurt we are very torn up about the fact that the Ravens are on a skid, not looking nearly as good as last year, and Lamar stinks. We are very torn up. About well, that. that's my takeaway. That is my takeaway. Lamar Jackson is not that good. Nope. And I, I I'm pat myself on the back here. I was like, before we crown him the next Patrick Mahomes, mm. can we have one more than one good season where he just ran the ball? Right. Because he really can't throw. And I think... Bill Belichick said something wild in a press conference that like it didn't really go noticed this week. They were before the Texans game this weekend. A reporter was asking him about, um, you know, you were able to defend Lamar Jackson really well last week. Obviously, you have Deshaun Watson this week. Uh, so similar game plan, blah, blah, blah. And Belichick's like, I don't I don't know the exact quote, but essentially Belichick said, no, um, Deshaun Watson is a complete quarterback. Oh, shots fired. He was like true. Lamar, like, mm, no, he can't throw or something. Like he didn't say that, but <laughs> well, like true. He, he insinuated that uh Deshaun was a much better quarterback because he could do all the things rather than run the ball. Tell him, Bill. Yeah, tell him. Talk your shit, Bill. Mm. Um, so a uh, good game. I'm happy the Ravens lost him a, a huge, huge win for Tennessee. So we'll see where they go from here. Mm-hmm. Speaking of a huge win for one team, one team this week took a terrible, terrible loss, like probably worse than anyone. And I think it was the Dolphins because they had set themselves up. They had positioned themselves very nicely in the AFC East, in the AFC playoff picture. And they they let it kind of they let their grasp of it kind of slip away a little bit this week. They go on the road to Denver and lose 20 to 13. Those pesky Broncos. Those pesky Broncos. Weird things happen when you go to Mile High Stadium, and and it happened to the Dolphins. Um, Tua got benched. Just an all around weird performance for the for the Dolphins. Yeah, you touched on all the points, so I'll just try to expand with my own thoughts a little bit based on what you said. Agree that this is a puzzling loss. As a Patriots fan who has experienced many of the same losses going into Denver and just having a house of horrors can relate, right? It's not like we can't relate. So like, again, that might be part of it. We'll see how the dolphins rebound. Maybe this is an outlier. Maybe it's a sign that they aren't as good as we thought they were right to a benching. I thought this was very interesting. So a lot of the conversation after the game was on how Brian Flores specifically did not try to defend to right? He was, it wasn't injury. It wasn't COVID. It wasn't anything, you know, whatever. It was literally Brian Flores was like straight up. He was playing bad. It was performance was the reason he was benched. And to me, that was a little interesting because 
again, I I never I didn't play football, so maybe Kurt obviously as the uh, Granby living legend yourself, maybe you can tell me this, but it feels like a little weird, I guess, to me for Brian Flores to just come in and be like basically like, yeah, he sucked, so we benched him. I did see some people like on Twitter being like, you know, at least he was honest. Maybe it sets it, it creates accountability in the locker room, right? Like no matter who you are, you're gonna get benched if you're not playing well. I definitely get that, but it just it just feels weird. And then also for him to be like, two is still the starter moving forward. I don't know. It the quarterback situation there all year has been weird right with Fitzpatrick like playing pretty well and then getting benched and now this Tua thing I don't know what the situation is what's your take on like the whole Tua benching situation well first off I don't think Tua deserved to be benched and I'm hmm. not a big Tua guy but I didn't see you know he missed a couple throws I'd say but I I don't think it was deserving of a benching um perhaps this is Brian Flores trying to do exactly what you said and show like Tua like hey you got hot. You won your first three in the in the NFL, but like let's let's settle it down here a little bit, and I'll show you that you're not invincible, and I can I can put you on the bench just as easily as I as I put you in the game. So perhaps it was one of those mind trick things, but um, I don't I don't know. It's I wouldn't have done it. I don't think Fitzpatrick putting him in the game late in that situation did a lot for the for the hopes and chances of the Dolphins to win that game. So kind of weird, but on the Dolphin side of things. I mean, sorry, on the Broncos side of things, they didn't like deserve to win that game either. Like Drew yeah. Locke didn't play well. Melvin Gordon rushed for a couple of touchdowns, but like I just a really bad game. Like it was a bad football game. Right. And like it does nothing for the Broncos. Like, yeah, they brought themselves up to four and six, but like I don't really like will they even make the playoffs? Maybe, but like will they do anything in the playoffs? Probably not. So they'd like, have to go on a run. They'd have to go yeah. on quite a run. Yeah. So, I mean, again, this is one of those largely forgettable games from this week. There was a couple of these. So, I mean, again, like the, the biggest takeaway by far is that it slowed the Dolphins roll a little bit uh, that they've been on and puts it a little bit harder for them to try to make a run of the division. Yeah, might, it might help the Patriots down the stretch, but we'll we will get into that whole. Oh, bang. boy. Um, Bruno, we've discussed all season on playing the field how. Justin Herbert and the Chargers can't win the one-score game. Well, gosh darn it, they did it. They <laughs> did it. They beat the they beat the lonely 0-10 Jets, 34-28. Justin Herbert goes for almost 400 yards, three more touchdowns. The boy can now flat out ball. Um, Keenan Allen was a monster. It's just it was a good win for the Chargers when they needed it. Kurt, I was about to say uh, shame on the Chargers for only beating the Jets by one score, but uh, I don't know as a Patriots fan if I can even say that. Yeah, put those words right back in your mouth. <laughs> so I'm not going to say that, but what I will say is, again, it doesn't matter necessarily who it was against. I completely agree with you. Good for the Chargers for getting that one score win. Sometimes all you need is a game against the Jets to kind of turn some things around. Justin Herbert, I, I know there was a lot of buzz about him the year before he left Oregon and then his senior year, whatever his last year was, he kind of cooled off a little bit. And then there was a lot of conversation leading up to the draft, how good he was going to be. I think he's showing without a doubt that those people high on him were correct because he, he is just an absolute monster. Good for the chargers. You know, it sucks that the circumstances way back in the season, to get him starting. I don't know if people for, kind of forget that Tyra Taylor like was medically malpracticed by his own doctors and got his lungs pierced and never got the starting job back. That sucks. 
However, Justin Herbert took advantage of his opportunity, is running away with it. I'm sure Keenan Allen's fucking pumped because he's like, damn, this dude can fucking throw, and Keenan Allen's a deep threat. So good for him, Mike Williams, all the boys on the Chargers. Again, the Chargers are one of those classic teams. It almost feels like the Falcons where they just start the season so bad, and then sometimes they like turn it on later in the season, and like they're by the season's end, they're like good enough to like make some noise, but they just can't either get the chance or like it's too late by then. Well, we will be seeing them very soon in a couple of weeks uh, out in out in um, LA. So you know, keep an eye on them going forward. Mm-hmm. Here's one. Okay, this was my favorite game of the weekend. Uh, at the uh, Fox game of the week: Packers at the Colts. I thought it was going to be a close, competitive game. We talked about it in depth on the pick six. Um, Ultimately, the Colts pull this one out at home, 34-31 in overtime. lot to unpack in this game. A lot to unpack in this game. Really good performance by Aaron Rodgers, but the Packers only scored three points in the second half. So I just I, for me, it's hard to understand how an offense can be that effective and that efficient in one half and then come out and just be so blech in the second half because I know you know you talk about halftime adjustments and blah 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 there's not enough to go from 28 points and a half to three to you know there's not enough halftime adjustments to do that so just a a a wacky tale of two halves for the Packers yeah and just gonna point out really quick here Kurt we've seen 28 to three before just I had to do it you said it I had to do it I did um (laughs) like like you said though this game was shocking to me shocking I thought that in the especially like you said before the game right on our pick six i do believe it was me who was like how the fuck are the colts favored in this game i was like those people are idiots this is the freest game of all time who the fuck whatever you know why is this the case well turns out the vegas odds makers are pretty smart because they fucking nailed it basically i think it was minus one and a half for the colts and the colts one by three so good for them for nailing it but like you said very very strange considering it wasn't just one of those things where you could say like it was an off day for the Packers because as we saw in the first half it was not an off day right like they just went off they put up stats Devonta Adams still a beast Aaron Jones did his thing right so like clearly things were working on the day but you know whether it was the halftime adjustments or I don't know what it was maybe it was just familiar familiarity with the plays the Colts just kind of put it together in the second half and honestly you know what? like good for them like they this is a great win for the Colts like I don't I've been calling them frauds all season I don't know if like maybe now I just need to change my mind moving forward but this was a great win for the Colts great win for the Colts and I said it too in the pick six I was like they need to win a game like this in order for me to consider them legit they're legit they beat the Titans last week they beat the Packers this week those are two playoff teams um it's that's a huge win for Philip Rivers and the Colts they're seven and three they're seven and three they're right they're right at the top of the division um and we'll see where we go from here that's a, that's a great win for the colts something on a a football level but a little bit deeper than that have you seen all the shit on social media about um marquez valdez scandling um is that how you say his name i don't even fucking yeah MVD. mvs um yeah. for the packers who fumbled in overtime on a screen oh, yeah. and then all this stuff uh on social media about you know death threats and yeah like I, we're two of the biggest like sports fans around and whatnot. And I know there are people out there who are just ridiculous, like fanatics. And I get that. But like, at what point, at what point do we feel good sitting behind our keyboard, like fucking little douchebags and threatening someone and their family because they fumbled the ball. It's a, it is a game. They are playing a game. 
And it's like, what are we doing? Like, why is that necessary? There's no need for people to sit there feeling all big behind their computer screen to take someone down. Like, no shit. There's, I have no doubt in my mind. There's nobody harder on himself than MVD. He fumbled. He knows what he did. He knows he probably costed his team the game. He doesn't need to hear you from, uh, you know, Albert from Alabama threatening him and his 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 family. So I just I stupid shit like that really pisses me off. And it's the ugly side of sports and it's bothered me all week. Yeah. And and I have two things to add. I mean, you, you set it out basically perfectly. Number one, all those people, it's like, do you, are you just going to look past all the stuff he did positively during the game that even got them in a position to still contend late in the game? Like, that's something that conveniently that people forget. They just hyper-focus on one specific thing. And it's like, well, are you not going to count all of his other catches and yards and blocks and plays and all this? Like, he did so much else, right? And number two, right? We're not robots. Like, all of us are human. Even the people who are are shitting on him, giving him death threats. Who among us has never made a mistake in their lives, right? Not only do these athletes make mistakes because they're human, but they have to do it on a stage where, like, you know, so many people are watching, and there's slow-motion replay that could analyze it, and you have analysts right there critiquing you, and you have people social media critiquing you. Like, what average person has to go through that for any of their mistakes, right? Like, how bad would it feel if your own mistakes you had to have people judging and watching and talking about online, right? Like that would feel terrible. So those people behind the keyboards, it's like they just have to take like take a step back and look in the mirror. Like you have your own mistakes in your life too. Everybody makes them, right? And that, like you said, at the end of the day, it's a game. It's a regular season game. Like calm down. This doesn't like not that I'm justifying do this in a playoff game, but really, like we're, it's just one game against the Colts. Right. It's, it's it's not as big of a deal as they're making it out to be. Yeah, it's not that deep. You're still in first place in the division. Like you're gonna make the playoffs. Okay. Right. Like relax. Let's take a step right. back. Um, R-E-L-A-X, as the uh, notable Rodgers quarterback for the uh, Packers once once said. That was was well done. That was well placed. That was well done by you, Bruno. Very good job. Of course, by us. Um, Here's one that surprised me. Uh, Andy Dalton back for the Cowboys, and they are back in the win column for the first time in quite some time. They beat the Vikings 31-28. I would say this is a big win for the Cowboys because the Vikings were starting to get hot, and they were playing – playing pretty well so that's a nice nice victory for the cowboys i still think they suck but that's a good win for them yeah and not only that but like the again like this is one of those games where you could say the vikings just played a dud like they had a they had a they played well like they had the lead at multiple times in the third quarter and the fourth quarter this was a comeback win multiple times you could say for the cowboys and again i think one stack went down we went from division favorite to like horrible really quick right and especially with like Ben Denucci and a lot of stuff and then Andy Dalton's out he has COVID and a concussion all this crazy stuff right but now we're sort of seeing that once again you never really know what's going to happen in the NFC East because all of a sudden Cowboys defense playing a lot better recently right they arguably should have won that game against the Steelers right like a couple weeks ago all of a sudden you see the offense kind of clicking CD Lamb with one of the better touchdown catches of the season this week Mari Cooper doing this thing a little bit more than he has been doing right so Again, I think you pretty much nailed it. This was a great win for the Cowboys. Like we've said for all the other NFC East games this week, it's probably going to come down to the divisional matchups. But again, good for them for keeping pace with you know some of the other teams that won outside of the division this week so that they can give themselves a chance, which again starts this coming week. You know, I don't have to get too far out of ourselves, but they play the Washington football team this week on Thanksgiving. And that's going to be a huge game for the Cowboys to see, like, are they, you know, what sort of chance do they have moving forward for the rest of the season? Yep, no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Another huge matchup in the NFL this week that kind of had playoff implications for sure. The Chiefs and the Raiders. Okay, the the Ra- Chiefs win this one. Uh, they go on the road to Vegas and beat the Raiders 35-31. The Chiefs' only loss this year had been to Vegas um, in Kansas City earlier this year. 
And for a minute, it looked like the Raiders were going to do it again. Uh, they had a lead late in the game, and it's like a Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they were, yeah, it was 31-28 Raiders mm-hmm. with like three minutes to go in the game. And Patrick Mahomes just hopped, skipped, and jumped, and galloped, and waved blissfully as he marched them into the end zone. It, he, I've never seen a two-minute drill look e- easier than Patrick Mahomes made it look. Yeah, and one thing that's annoying me a little bit is that, of course, there's plenty of things to give Patrick Mahomes credit for, right? But that game-winning drive, like that touchdown, if you didn't see that touchdown to Kelsey, I mean, yes, he made good decisions, great throws. Those I'm not taking away from him. But like some of those throws he were making were to wide-open guys, and the one to Kelsey in the end zone, like nobody was even covering him. So it's like, yeah, Raiders, like, are you, what's going on? Like, yes, maybe there was too much time for Mahomes, whatever. Like, still credit to Patrick for getting it done. But like, I that was just a little bit annoying. It was like, Raiders, could you at least have tried to not let them score? Yeah, Bruno, I'm not trying to be dramatic when I say this. I think Helen Keller could have found Travis Kelsey and completed. <laughs> I, think so I think I, I think so. she could have done it. Travis Kelsey would have yelled, I'm open. Helen Keller would have thrown the ball to the sound of his voice and would have got there in time. That's how open he was. <laughs> That's how open he was. Right. So, I mean, huge win for uh, Kansas City. If the Raiders were able to pull this one off, if they could have won this game, oh. that would have. That would have they would have moved to seven and three, Chiefs eight and two. It would have been this crazy thing down down the stretch of the division. I think the Chiefs did enough to space themselves out. They're probably going to win the division. They're probably going to be the one or two seed in the uh, AFC, and we'll see what happens. But the Raiders are still thoroughly in the mix. Here's what I do want to say. Um, I was watching Good Morning Football with my girl Kay Adams, who is my celebrity crush. I think she is every Kay Adams is everything. If you don't know who Kay Adams is. Your loss. Um, and she had a really, really good point this morning. She was like, sometimes we can be a little bit too quick to judge young quarterbacks. Okay. Drew Brees didn't win a Super Bowl until he was 30. All right. Der- what Derek Carr is doing in John Gruden's offense this year is really, really, really fucking awesome. Like he's been Derek Carr low key is an MVP candidate because he's been that good this year. So for all the crap he's received over the last couple of years and, and deservedly. So I'm not saying that wasn't warranted. Um, he's, he's definitely in the right system. Now comfortable with Gruden's offense that he's has weapons around him. Like, let's just, before we judge someone too, too quickly. And I'm saying this to myself too, because I do it all the time. Let's just, let's give him a little bit of time. Let's give him a little bit of time because a lot can change over a year or two. So uh, good for Derek Carr. I've liked I've liked what him and the Raiders have done this year. Yeah, that's a great point by you and your girl. You know, I know she's probably listening as our millions worldwide. Yep. So, you know, shout out to her. Um, that's a great point by you. I think that's something that we don't always think about. But now that you're like bringing that up, you're absolutely right. He's been playing great this year. He's also, you know it's kind of like everything's working in symphony, right? Like John Gruden, I don't know when people, when he signed his 10 year, $100 million contract, I, people were probably like LOL, but like low key, like he has the Raiders playing well. Yeah. They've had a couple of speed bumps this year, but being the chiefs have some other good wins. Um, so good for them. You know, I think Derek Carr moving forward, like, he's making Nelson Aguilar look good. The running game is looking good. It's all kind of complimenting each other. Right. So like, I will say, the Raiders are probably that one team in the playoffs, or at least the AFC, that the Chiefs don't want to play. So it would be a real shame if they got matched up in the playoffs. Sure would be a damn shame if that was the case. And it could happen if the Raiders are the seventh seed and the Chiefs the two seed, which is very possible. That could be a, a very interesting matchup. Yeah, I'd, re- I'd really hate to see that, if you know what I mean. Yeah, so let's not jinx that and have that be the first <laughs> round matchup. How about that? How about that?
Um, how about Brady? Oh my God. Because that's what we're going to wrap up with for this part of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, Brady drops to one and three in prime time this year after the Rams go down to Tampa and kind of put a put a hurting on the Bucks. They won 27-24, but the Rams were physical. They were by far, they controlled the line of scrimmage. They they got Brady multiple times, um, I think pre-snap, which is hard to do. Like Brady threw two interceptions, the last one ending the game. Um, and it just it was a bad performance for the Bucks and Tom. What I will say, the Buccaneers play calling is fucking atrocious. It's atrocious. For all of you on Twitter, go follow Dan Orlovsky, former UConn quarterback who now works at ESPN. Shout out. On ESPN Live. His breakdowns of plays are phenomenal. If you don't understand football, you'll understand it because Dan makes it that easy. Um, but he was discussing today on NFL Live Brady's performance yesterday and stuff and how, you know, Brady deserves plenty of plenty of uh the blame. But at the same time, the Buccaneers, uh, Arians and Brian, Byron Leftwich, their offensive coordinator, aren't really putting them in positions to succeed as much as they should be. So in the NFL this year, or for the past couple of years even, so much of offense is predicated on you know using motion and stuff to you know just even to get a coverage. So like for a Patriots example, for all these years in the past, when Brady motions Edelman literally like three feet and then back. All that motion is is to tell Tom, okay, it's man coverage. The guy followed Edelman uh, or something like that. So Brady knows pre-snap. I know what I got, or I know at least we're we're man on that side. Blah 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 blah. The Buccaneers ran like sixty-eight plays or something, seventy plays on offense yesterday, and they motioned six times. It's like, well, that's just not helping. That's not helping anybody. So from that, that's the first thing. And then the second thing is, I don't know how many times we have to be through it go through it about the deep ball. Tom Brady can throw a deep ball fine, but it's not it's not his absolute bread and butter. And for whatever reason, Bruce Arians and Byron Leftwich have like a fetish for throwing the ball 50 yards on the field for no fucking reason. They were down three points at the end of the game yesterday. And they're like, deep ball, deep ball, deep ball, deep ball. You have Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown, Cameron Bray, Rob Gronkowski, you like, I mean, it's more weapons than you know what to do with. And your only solution is to huck the ball 50 yards on the field. It's terrible. And that's, that's, we talk about Brady being a system quarterback. That's the system that Tampa Bay has. It's not what, it's not what has given Tom so much success over the years. And it's frustrating because for a couple weeks there, it looked like they were incorporating some of the stuff from New England, the play action pass, the short intermediate out routes. And now it's like, nope, fuck that. We're going back to Arians offense. Look what it did. Look what it got. Look where it got you. Nowhere. Yeah, and you basically nailed it. I was having this conversation, I think, with our boy Jason Lublin uh, the other day, and it almost just feels like the what like what worked for Tom in New England was that the offense was suited to his strengths, but what they're trying to do in Tampa Bay is design the offense to suit the strengths of the weapons. And like, yes, as you said, a lot of those guys are notable deep threats, 
But when you have Tom Brady, right? And like you said, he maybe isn't in his absolute prime anymore, you know, and he's trying to, you know, take advantage of what he's still got. You have to be more mindful of like what works for him and what is he's what made him the best, right? Not that his deep throw was ever bad, but what made him the best was, as you said, reading defenses and then getting the timing routes, getting those quick to medium plays and then setting himself out for the deep ball. So it's very surprising for me to see. I guess kind of like this continued reliance on the deep ball. It almost feels like someone is playing Madden with the Bucks, like because that's what you would do in Madden, right? Like you have all these weapons, you're like, yeah, fuck it, we'll just throw it deep every time, right? But this is the NFL, right? You have to think that people are smarter than the average Madden player, I would hope. So I'm very curious to see like how this is going to continue to unfold. Um, obviously, you have the weapons there, and I don't think either you or me are are saying just give up the long ball. Like obviously, of course, we're not, but you can't you can't just keep forcing it over and over and over again, right? You have to set yourselves up for that by being better with the the smaller plays, the medium plays. And I here's one thing: taking your point even further, Kurt, I will say Brady has had his fair share of highs and lows this season, right? He's had games where he's looked incredible. He's had games where he's looked average or pedestrian. I think this obviously is going to come down to what happens in the playoffs because they're making the playoffs, right? And then, you know, it kind of that's going to determine like how people view his first season in Tampa Bay. But as you noted at the very beginning of the segment, falling to one and three in primetime games, that is not the Tom Brady stat we are used to seeing. And that's, and he has not been the Tom Brady we are used to seeing. So I think if you're a Bucks fan, you do have to be a little worried about where this is heading. They do have some time to fix it moving forward, but you know they're going to have to. They it's clear that this is not the Tom Brady of old, where we're rolling into December and it's a well-oiled machine and we're looking great. It's clear they have a lot more work to do. Yeah, no doubt about it. Something that we've talked about on the show a couple times that I want to mention again. I'm starting to think Bruce Arians legitimately hates Tom Brady. <laughs> I mean, you. We know in New England, Belichick and Brady had their differences. Hardly ever were those aired out in the in the media for everyone to listen to. Okay. We've heard in the past Bruce Arians call out his quarterback, Tom Brady. Okay. Here's what he said oh, God. after last night. So following the loss, Arians goes to the mic and he goes, other than the deep ball, I think he's getting confused with coverage. That might be the first that might be the cause for some inaccurate balls, but I don't see it at all in practice. We're not missing the deep ball in practice, that's for sure. It's just a matter of him not hitting them on Sundays. Sheesh. Sheesh. And then he doubles down. He, someone asked, is it fair to ask why the Bucks are attempting so many vertical passes if they don't do it well? Aaron's goes, yes and no. We've got guys wide open all over the field. Oh We're just God. missing them. Yeesh. And there are times when coverage dictates you go to that guy. I think we can do a better job utilizing the deep ball in our game plan, more or less of it. Each and every week is a little different, blah, 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 blah. Bro. Wow. Wow. Like, I don't know what to say. Like, what the fuck? That I didn't. I did not see those on Twitter or like since the Bucks. I did not see that. This is the first time I'm hearing those. Those are strong strong words to be saying and my first reaction kurt is when he's out there saying he's not reading the coverages right but then you're telling me as you pointed out they are not running any motion to help him see what the coverage is it's like then what do you what do you expect like is this all are you going to talk about your own faults my good sir or is it just going to be let's blast the goat publicly for like the seventh time this year here i'm going to go out and say it november 24th 2020 at 6.13 p.m. 
either Bruce Arians or Tom Brady, one of them will not be a Buccaneer next year. No, Kurt, stop yep. it. Nope. Stop it, Kurt. Nope. Stop Mark it. it down. Mark it. I mean, it's down. not going to be Tom Brady. They're not going to, you're not getting rid of Tom Brady. So you're, you're oh, basically. So do the math. We're not math guys. So do that math. If it's not Brady, who is it? I mean, that would, I'm not a math guy. That would be Arians, but that would be nutty, Kurt, if that actually did happen. You heard what I said. Wait, Josh McDaniels. Wait. Josh McDaniels. Yes. Josh McDaniels. Mm-hmm. Imagine oh, Josh McDaniels with all those weapons, dude. Oh, imagine. Uh, Everybody loves Josh. You just made me. I was already sad about the Patriots this season, but you just made me even more. I hadn't, I hadn't even considered. I had literally spent zero time, zero thoughts, zero seconds, whatever, thinking about that. Now I'm going to be thinking about that. So uh, November and- 24th, 2020, 6.14 p.m. Thanks, Locker. <laughs> Thanks a lot. And it's. I was thinking about it, too, right? LeBron and the Lakers. LeBron like runs the show. He he picks who he wants, and they're there. I I'm just gonna stop you right now. No, hold if on. You're about to do what I think you're gonna do. I'm firing you from the show. I don't. I don't. I don't know for sure you're about to say this, but I I you better tread carefully. No, I'm not gonna say Edelman's gonna be a Buccaneer if that's where you're going with that. No, that's not where I was going. With okay, this. well I don't know where you're going with that, but I'm saying LeBron runs the runs the show for the Lakers. It's clear Tom Brady is running the show for the Buccaneers because Antonio Brown's there and Gronk is there and those are the guys he wanted and they're there. So I'm saying if if Brady wants Arians fired, he's go, he's going to get fired. And then whoever the fuck Tom wants to come in is going to come in. And it might be Josh McDaniels. Kurt, you didn't have to say that while comparing our Lord and Savior, the GOAT Tom Brady, to LeBron. You did not have to do that. I get the point you're trying to make. I'm not saying it wasn't smart, but you really didn't have to do that because I think you're all aware I am the number one LeBron hater in the world. So the fact that you just did that makes me a little bit sad, but your overall point, let's get off this real quick, your overall point is very sound. I do think that if you're the Bucks and things don't go your way this season, when the GOAT is saying that, like, trust me, do this, this worked for me in the past, this is what I need moving forward, I think you're going to listen to him. So that is a very interesting point. And I guess, again, it, it comes down to, like, what are, what's going to happen for them in the playoffs. Yeah, we'll see. But uh, my point has been made. We talked for a long time about the other games in the NFL. It's time to get into a little bit of a Patriots talk. Okay, Bruno? If we have to. We have to. Sad boy, Bruno. Here he comes. Da, 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 da. So obviously, let's just get it out of the way. Okay. One step forward, two steps back. The fucking theme of 2020. Patriots lose this week to the Texans 27-20 to drop to four and six. I want to start by saying this. Mathematically, there is a path to the playoffs, but realistically, uh, you can almost kiss that away. Okay. So my first question to you, Bruno, okay, is it time to reconsider what the goals are for this team and the aspirations are? And you you play the young guys and you maybe don't rush Edelman back at all this year because what is the point? Or is it like, no, fuck it. Let's go try to win our next six games and sneak into the playoffs. What, what what would you do? So let me start by saying that the past couple of weeks, we have been preaching positive vibes only. Dep- what we're going to talk about, it might seem like it's contrarian to that. But what I'll say is that vibes come in all shapes, colors, sizes, and forms. So let's not <laughs> rush to any conclusions based off what we we're saying. That out of the way, my dear Kurt Ty. I don't think we're making the playoffs. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. We talked about whether the Steelers are going undefeated. That was our prediction. If we're calling an official prediction, I don't think we're making the playoffs. As you said, of course, there's still a chance. I'm never going to count Bill Belichick out 100%. Just I don't think we're going to make the playoffs. Since 
that is my belief. I would rather do what you kind of illustrated there where we have big question marks for next season, right? We have, do we want to re-sign Cam? So I think number one, let's continue to try to get the most, like let's install plays we think can work. Let's see how he can do. Let's use this as kind of like a further audition for, do we want another one-year deal or a longer deal for Cam for next year, right? And number two, like you said, we're never going to have a better opportunity than right now to play these young guys, considering both number one, we're in a position where we might not even be making the playoffs. And number two, we have all the other guys out for COVID, right? So we've never had such a golden opportunity to kind of get some of these younger guys playing time, along with the fact that we've talked about all year, how we're kind of an older team to begin with, right? So like this is kind of coming for us anyways. So I'm fully with you. Let's not rush Edelman back. I mean, if he wants to play and he's healthy, sure, right? But let's not rush him back. I don't think we need to like be doing a win now thing, right? Let's make sure he's healthy because as he gets older, his health is going to be more important. Let's not go crazy, like trying to, you know, necessarily go, what, 6-0 over the last six games. That was some outstanding math from your boy. Um, I mean, certainly that's something that we can try for, but I think more importantly, let's, let's test what we want to do with Cam Newton moving forward. Let's try to add more wrinkles into offense and see like Jacoby Myers, what he can do bird, what he can do. And let's see for the defense, right? Like give some other guys some playing time and see like what we, you know, once we get some guys back next year from opting out for COVID, once we have the draft and all that good stuff, let's see who we want in our team moving forward. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. Right. And I, if the Patriots were able to win this game against Houston this weekend, I would say go for it. Uh, you would have been five and five. You would have probably had to win a similar amount of games, five or six games down the stretch here. But you would have looked it would the, would have looked a lot brighter uh, potentially to sneak in. Uh, right now, it looks very, 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 very dim. Um, what I will say is you hit the nail on the head. The first, and, the first and biggest question of this offseason, what are you doing behind center? Who is your quarterback going forward? Is it Cam? Is it not Cam? If it's not Cam, it's going to be a rookie because it's not Sidham and it's not Hoyer. So now we're really starting over, if that's what it is. And that's my point is I feel like Cam Newton, unless you're getting Trevor Lawrence, unless you're getting Justin Fields, unless you're getting Zach Wilson, who will probably all be gone by the top six, he, I don't know. Whoever you bring in, you tell me they're going to be better than Cam Newton. Cam, low-key, has been, the last four weeks, as he's gotten more comfortable and back from the COVID fog, Cam's been really fucking good. He's been really good, really solid, really consistent. Um, so that's the first question. I know I've been on record saying I want Cam back. I want him as a quarterback next year, and we'll go from there. Um, but there are some... I go back and forth with this question about playing the young guys and whatnot. I feel like this is almost the last hurrah because, I mean, obviously it's different that Brady's not here. But I don't know if you've peeked at the unrestricted free agents on the Patriots next year. I have not. The list is scary. Like, are you talking about this coming offseason? Or you mean like after next year? Nope. Like, Coming in after six weeks. Oh, God. All right. What are some so, of the big names? First and foremost, there have been reports all day that Donta Hightower will be retiring. Um, Kurt, I haven't seen any of that. What the fuck? So it looks like the guy who you are missing more than anything this season. Kurt, retiring. what the fuck? Also, I was not ready for that. Also, it sounds like Marcus Cannon is retiring. Kurt, so can you fucking stop it? Shut so your mouth. Right tackle and your middle linebacker are... Um, gonna be bye-bye so 
that's the first thing. And then listen to this list. There's more. Oh, well, you have to just de- well, you have to decide of these oh. players who you want to keep. Um, <sighs> so just real quick, this list, Bruno, mm-hmm. Joe Tooney, Jason I like McCourty. I like him. James White. I like him. Lawrence Guy. I like him. Adam Butler. I like him. David Andrews. I like him a lot. Rex Burkhead. I like him. John Simon. I don't really know him. Cam Newton. <laughs> I like Cam. Jermaine Illuminor. Okay. Funny name. Terrence Brooks. Decent. Demir Bird. Good. Khalid Calhoun. Justin Calhoun. Bethel. Bethel. Brian Hoyer. E. Nick Folk. Brandon Copeland. I, can then, you stop? There's like there's there's 29 total. That's absurd. I just named like 12 starters. So there's going to be some changes coming. Kurt, so prepare. I have an opinion for you. I have an opinion for you. I know we've been talking all season about retooling and not rebuilding. But if this is the way we're going, and we've already heard Belichick clearly thinking and talking publicly about the cap, it almost seems like if you have that case with the roster, that would be a reason to go for a younger quarterback. Because Cam is a win-now move. But with all those, like, are you going to say we're going to sit here and lose a large percentage of the guys you just listed and still be able to win now? It almost seems like if that's the case, we go with a younger quarterback. But here's the thing with Cam Newton, no fucking way Cam Newton signing a one-year deal. There's no chance. Cam Newton is going to sign a three- or four-year deal somewhere. If it's not in New England, whether it's Jacksonville, whether it's in Washington, there he is going to sign somewhere, okay? And they're going to pay him for four years. He's... Pr- Cam, while he hasn't had fantastic stats, he's proven he's still a starter in the NFL. There are so many quarterback-needy teams out there who need someone like Cam Newton. He's not going to sign a one-year contract with Bill Belichick again to make possibly $7 million. It's just not going to happen. So I say bring Cam Newton back, pay him. You have a ridiculous amount of cap space going into next season. While I mentioned other teams are going to be so up against the cap, which is shrinking this year because of COVID. So you're at an advantage for that. I feel like Cam Newton is not going to command $25 million a year. He might be like 18. Okay, that's a lot, but it's 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 respectable for the market. Um, I feel like Cam's the guy. I I know I see your point about adding a rookie, and I would I would draft someone to go behind Cam, but you can't I you would really put yourself behind the eight ball and you would prepare to suck for four years if you don't have someone like Cam. Here's the thing, Kurt. Not that I don't want what you're saying or that what you're saying doesn't make sense. I I think I would rather, obviously, have a chance to be good than not be good, right? And I think you can say Cam probably gives us the best chance. I agree with you. However, if we're talking about dealing with an unprecedented situation with no Tom Brady, more uncertainty than ever, and all those free agents. My gut says that Bill would not want to tie up a large percentage of that on one player of the cap space. I know we have a ton. My gut says he wouldn't do that. And instead, he'd rather use that to like try to completely overhaul. If you want to call it a rebuild, fine. But still, you could do a ton of rebuilding with that money. And maybe it's an expedited rebuild. I don't know what you want to call it, whatever. My gut says that he would want to do that, right? I don't know if he has been talking all year about being with the cap troubles we've been in and like dealing with the past four or five years that he would want to go right back and be like, let's sign Cam Newton to a big contract for four years. Not that I'm saying we shouldn't or that I don't want him to, but that's my gut is almost saying that, right? And so if that's the case, 
we've seen the formula kind of be for some of these good teams recently outside of like the established veterans where you get a rookie quarterback and while they're on their rookie deal, you try to win, like you, you build around them and try to win. I could see Bill like with all the financial flexibility talks this year being like, let's try to do that. Is that possible? I don't know. I, like you said, I don't know like if there's a guy that can do that outside of the top three. And even so, would we trade into the top three? I don't know. But I'm not saying it's it's possible or the path is clear. But that's what my gut would say for where the season has kind of been going. I hear you, but I don't necessarily agree. Only because, only because, like when you think about the Patriots offense and everyone's like, Oh my God, it's like the most complex thing you've ever fucking seen. Julian Edelman related it to calculus. Um, it took Tom Brady, obviously decades to master. So to ask a college quarterback to come in and be like, here's your new system. Fucking good luck with these reads. I mean, you're going to have to completely overhaul the system um, that the Patriots have in place now to, or dumb it down tremendously because even Cam Newton, who has been in the league for nine years or whatever, was struggling early on and is still learning. He said, Cam Newton talks to this day about, I still can't make checks at the line of scrimmage because I don't, I still don't know enough about the playbook to make those checks. So now you're going to ask a rookie to come in and do it. I just, I don't, I don't know. I don't know how that works. But what if that's the argument for why they would do that? A, we just talked about McDaniels potentially leaving, right? So if that's so, you have the chance for someone new to come in and kind of do new stuff. And B, what if we're seeing that, like, after all these years, like, we didn't know how the offense would look, the system would look without Brady. What if Bill takes a look at it and be like, I can see how this would be hard for someone other than Brady. Why don't, when we're at the same time, we're redoing the roster. What if we just either, like you said, dumb it down or change it up? Like, that's also you're, something I so can see. You're talking more or less about, like, a complete overhaul. I guess. But, like, Bill will still theoretically be there. That's, I guess, a big assumption. You know, Bill's getting up there in age for, I, I, I guess it's a consideration that if he sees the overhaul coming, he's like, fuck it, I'm out. Like, I guess that's a possibility. Not that anyone's reporting that or saying that. But it just kind of seems to me like, I don't know. Because I don't know. Like, I guess here's the question, Kurt. I know we talked about this earlier this season. And I my p- position has changed a little bit. Do you think re-signing Cam and then using the cap space effectively puts us back to Super Bowl contender? Yes, I do. With with all the losses for all those free agents that you were just talking about, yeah, not all of them, but a lot of them. Yeah, I do. I there's a. I really, honest to God, feel like this team is only a couple pieces away, and by a couple, I mean like five or six. So whether you at like free agency, which we're going to have an abundance of room, uh, or through the draft, which I know people are like Belichick sucks at drafting. Um, I just, I don't feel like they're as far away as people think. Okay. Hold on. So he, he, oh, one last okay. point because yeah, yeah, you go. Even this year, the hardest schedule in the NFL based on percentage, win percentage from the year before. You look at these last couple games. I, I'm not going to give them any, but we can hypothetically see that in the Seattle game, in the Buffalo game, in the Denver game, and in the Houston game, the Patriots all had a chance. The Patriots had a chance to win or tie on the last drive. And they obviously didn't win any of those games, but they're right in them. And so if two or three of those games go differently, you are talking about a completely different season for the Patriots. You're talking about the playoffs. You're talking about AFC's champs again. You're talking about all this stuff. And it's like the, the narrative hasn't changed, but because you've lost the close games, 
by a very, very slim margin. It's like, I to me, I'm like, I don't feel like this team is as far away as people think they are. They're not that far. And that's that's a very fair point. And I also agree with that. I, we've talked about this earlier this season. We talked about, you know, Cam's fumble against the Bills, the Chiefs game. We almost won that. You know, there have been a lot of close games. And again, we're not too many plays away, even the Seattle game. We're not too many plays away from having a completely different record than we are. So I agree with you there. That's completely valid. And that's true. I think maybe this is a little recency bias and let's I'm going to segue into what actually happened during the game this week because I know we're, we obviously have that to get to as well. Part of the reason why my opinion is what it is right now is because what we saw against the Texans was a defense that got Gilmore back just get absolutely torched by Deshaun Watson and the receivers and basically like other than a couple stops like the the Texans just had our, our had their way with us. And I know you're going to get into it. I know you probably have a lot to say, but my initial reaction is like that to me doesn't seem like like if we want to be a Super Bowl contender, we can't have that kind of performance against a team like the Texans. The Texans haven't beat hadn't been anyone other than the Jaguars this year. And they were able to come in and make us look like Swiss cheese. Like they carved us up. So for what's supposed to be the strength of our team, seeing that really kind of made me a little, you know, positive vibes only. I, I'm, you know, we're still positive vibes. But I'm just saying that put a damper on that a little bit because again, it's like you can't even say we we're missing Gilmore. Gilmore was there. So you hit the nail on the head again. You've been doing it all episode long. The that is the issue with this year's team. Yeah, the offense has some issues, but right. your strong suit, your secondary, which is supposed to carry you, has been the issue in a lot of in a lot of these games. The Jets game when you got toasted by Joe Flacco, you won the game, but you, you, you there's a damn good chance you couldn't have, um, or shouldn't have, I'd rather this game toasted again. But here's what I will say: the Texans have lost four games this season by one score. So again. I feel like it's kind of the quintessential good team with a bad record. And again, the coaching thing, switching coaches midseason, I'm not giving them excuses, but like, you know, they're a better team than two and seven going into this week or this last last week against the Patriots. Um, but what Deshaun Watson was able to do against the Patriots was special for a couple reasons. So first and foremost, that first half of football, I watched it back on NFL Game Pass. I There were like six or seven throws that Deshaun Watson made in the first half that you could not have walked up the field and placed the handed the ball to the receiver in a better spot. Like, And I'm not saying the Patriots' coverage was that good because it was meh, but we had players in the right spots. It was just sometimes better offense beats good defense. And there were, I mean, again, not... They didn't really play good defense, but in those specific instances, the guys were there. It was just a better throw and a better play by the offense. And what I think is incredibly telling is uh, a defensive scheme that uh, the Chiefs and Patrick Mahomes couldn't figure out and the Ravens and Lamar Jackson couldn't figure out. Deshaun Watson dissected. It was the same scheme. We're going to rush two or three. We're not going to blitz you at all. We're going to drop into zone coverage and we're going to we're eight uh we're going to let eight guys cover and you're not going to be able to beat us. Well, Deshaun Watson, I've never seen someone move like that in the pocket and extend like I I, I don't even I don't even know what to say about it. It was un, he was a magician. It was infuriating. That's what I'll say about it. I'm like, "Oh, that's a sack." And then all of a sudden I'm like, "Nope, that's a 40-yard completion." 
Like it was, it happened time and time again. So what Deshaun Watson was able to do was a master class on how to play quarterback in the new era of quarterback. Deshaun, if if I'm starting a team tomorrow and I can't have Patrick Mahomes, I'm taking Lamar Jackson. I'm, whoa, 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 timeout. I'm calling timeout on that. Throwing the challenge whoa. flag. That's a penalty. 15 yards. Brain fart. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm not taking Lamar Jackson. I'm taking Deshaun Watson every oh. day and twice on Sundays, literally. Oh, my God. Literally. I can't believe I just did that. Oh, bloopers. If we had them. Um, but what Deshaun Watson did was so, so amazing. Um, I Good for him. He, he made Belichick's defense look terrible. Um, what I will say is that... I know we talked a lot about some of the bigger picture things going forward, but I want to get into this game a little bit. Um, I thought going into this stretch that the Patriots front seven was going to be a problem. Um, and this week they held the Texans running backs to 13, 19 yards on 13 carries. That doesn't happen in the NFL. That's amazing. So <laughs> you completely stopped a run game, knew they were going to throw and still couldn't stop it. So, not a great look from the Patriots uh, secondary there. Yeah. And again, you made some great points. I also agree. Watson made some throws that literally made me gasp out loud. I was like, I can't believe you just made that throw at the location of that. Um, your other point about the run game, I will say the Texans running backs are terrible. So not not the stats and the performance was still good, but I, it's not like the Texans run game is anything to be feared. So that should be said as well. But again, like your last point, which you just made is the point where our secondary that is, was playing better and is supposed to be playing well and got Gilmore back that really let us down. I guess what you're saying is true. I hadn't really considered like, you know, Deshaun Watson is special special and he had a special performance, but part of that is almost just like, yes, he made some great, great throws, but it's still at the end of the day, I feel like we should have done better in stopping some of that. And it's not like it was all bad. Like Kyle Duggar was incredible. I love what a great pick. He's been playing extremely well. I like the way we're using him. And, you know, again, it wasn't like it was like there wasn't good pieces, but it just like there was just something about this game where like you just sit down and when you take a step back and you're like, it's the Texans, like a team that we shouldn't be like, I guess maybe that's still the old mindset, but it almost just feels like we should not be losing this game. And not only was it did we lose, but like just completely let down it feels like by the defense that just really only had to get like a couple more stops than they get like we weren't asking them to be necessarily like a shutout performance like we only lost by seven like it was really like can you please just stop them like one time so we can win i don't know it just so, uh, maybe this is the still fresh off a loss but it just really feels like i'm really just like what are we doing here so you know like how in baseball you we talk about having the shut down inning so like your offense goes out there and scores four runs and then you get like you need a one, two, three inning from your bullpen and get right. the offense right back up. Right. Every single time the Patriots scored, they scored four times, two touchdowns, two field goals. Every single time they scored, the Texans scored on the next drive. That's just not complimentary. That's not good complimentary football. It's a great point. So it's like you know, the the broadcast said it at one point, like Cam is like jumping up on the sideline, like chomping at the bit to get back out there after the long touchdown to bird and they, yep. the Texans go on like an eight minute drive completely kills the momentum. It just like you need a shutdown inning from your defense there. It's like, you need right. that in football. And it was, the game was so frustrating because it felt like they were so close so many different times. And 
ultimately it ended up not being enough. I want to flip to the offense quickly before we wrap up. Flip it. I thought Cam was good again. And there were there were there were times where, you know, he had a couple low throws to Nikhil Harry, who, you know, the, you know, the low throw didn't allow for run after the catch, which is not good. Um he had four passes batted down, but that's not all on Cam. That's uh, A, A.J. Watt being a beast still, and B, uh, the fact that the offensive line needs to do a better job. Like Michael and Wayne knew a couple times, tried to cut J.J. Watt, didn't get him to the ground and allowed J.J. Watt to get a hand up. Yeah. Um. So that's not great from an offensive perspective. But I thought overall, again, Cam was good. I don't have the stats in front of me, but he, he was – Cam was solid. I know he threw for like 365 and – you know, fifty of those came on a bullshit hail mary at the end, but I, Cam was Cam was pretty efficient, I think, again, and made the right reads, and more, most importantly, once again, didn't turn the ball over. So from that, I was happy from an offensive perspective, and he made some incredible throws. That long ball to Bird was phenomenal. There was a third and ten to Bird in double coverage, which I don't know how he fit the ball in, but when Cam lets it rip, he can let it rip, and it's it's frustrating because we've talked about it so many times on the show. More vertical, less horizontal. And they were fucking in love with screens this game. Screen, 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 screen. And I know Houston blitzed the shit out of you. You had no answer for blitz pickup against Houston. But that doesn't mean you have to throw screens every time. It was so frustrating. Yeah. I mean, again, you you pretty much nailed it. That's not something new. We've been calling for to let, let Cam cook almost for you, Will, for a while now, right? Adding to your point about the blitz, Isaiah Wynn, I think, got hurt, right? This game, he had to come out at least, you know, maybe towards the end. I forget exactly when that happened. That obviously is not going to help towards an offensive line that's been shuffling all year. I think the biggest thing that makes people, that influences their perception of Cam, right, is the batted balls, which again, like your first reaction maybe to a casual fan is like, God damn it, Cam, like, can you not, like, just don't do that, right? Obviously, it's not that simple. Like, you have the offensive line play that could be better, or you could have J.J. Watt, like, just J.J. Watt, again, it's J.J. Watt, like, we know he's incredible, right? The other thing I think with Cam that people just will hyper-focus on is just, he just takes some bad sacks. And again, that's not all on the quarterback. We've talked about that all year. If your receivers aren't getting open and you don't have anywhere to throw, or if the pressure is coming, you know, quicker than it's reasonable, right? That, that those can all be factors why that happens. But I also think there were some times that he held onto the ball too long and should have just thrown it away. That being said though, overall, I agree with you. I don't necessarily think the problem was cam. Like I think he, I think I just looked at my phone really quick. It just crashed classic my phone. If you follow uh, playing the field weekly pick six, that happens all the time. But my phone just crashed again. So shout out my phone. He was 26 for 40, 365. A lot of that did come on that hilarious Hail Mary at the end that like was just like, oh, that was caught, but didn't matter at all. That was pretty funny. But like you said, he he did some good stuff in this game. It wasn't all on him. I think we're both in agreement that for, you know, since his COVID fog, whatever, all that weird period of of time, the problem hasn't really been Cam. It's just been people picking out a few instances that are the most visible, whether it was his fumble against the bills or a bad interception here or there. It's almost like what we just talked about with MVS for the Packers, right? Like you, you hyper-focus on that one thing, but you don't see the larger picture. I think the larger picture with cam is good. It was just this game, as we said in the beginning of the breakdown came a lot, a lot on the defense. Yeah, absolutely. I will, I will scrutinize Josh McDaniels a little bit. You were going up against Houston who had the 30th ranked rushing defense in the NFL, the worst in the NFL, okay? The first drive where you marched masterfully right down the field but ended in a Damian Harris-like 10-yard touchdown run was great. 
I thought we were going to win like 59 to nothing. Shout out when we beat the Titans like eight years ago, 59 to nothing. I thought after that drive, we were going to win like 59 to nothing. Yeah, it was a it was the best drive they had all season. Play action, running, Cam was yep. great. It was awesome. Awesome first drive. And I know Houston did some things to fix their defensive run uh, game because I, it, it had been that bad all season. But if you were to tell me that Damian Harris was only going to get 11 carries against the worst rushing defense in the NFL, I would have I would have I would have called you so stupid and called you all the bad names in the book. And Damian Harris only had 11 carries. And Kurt, you, adding on to your point, that point is so true. And adding on to that, why do I feel like that's been the story for multiple games in a row now? Damian Harris has a great first drive and things are going really well and it works and then we just stop doing that. Like, what is happening behind right. the scenes? With Damian Harris, they they march on the field, they score, and the next drive is pass, 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 three and out. Yeah. What are we Josh, doing? Josh, did it work too well the first time? Did it work too <laughs> well? Like, do you feel bad? Did you like, oh, no, let's give him a break. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I yeah, I don't know. Josh, Positive vibes I mean, only. Positive vibes only. Uh, Josh sounds like Josh A. You know, shout out Josh A. Oh. Uh, that's the best positive vibes I can do at this time. I don't have too much more to get into. I blab a lot, and this game sucked, and it really put a damper on all the playoff stuff. But it'll be it'll be exciting and interesting to see where the Patriots go from here down the stretch. Six more games. If they win, hell, if they win the next six, they might get in. But I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go to Vegas to put that on a bet. Yeah, and again, just to just to like give some context, I guess, to my comments from earlier, right? I'm not necessarily sitting here saying we need to blow the team up. I don't want it to come across like that. Like, sure, a lot can change over these last six games. I just feel like I think my and it's still fresh, right? My just initial reaction after a dispiriting loss to the Texans of all teams is like, if we if that's what we're going to do against the Texans, what are we going to do against any of the other teams that like really matter? And I guess that's unfair because, you know, we had a close loss against Seattle, a close loss against Kansas City. It's not like we haven't had good performances against this team. So I guess that's not completely fair, but I, I just we like to to really decide on what this offseason is going to look like. We're going to need a vastly improved last stretch of six games. I'm not necessarily saying we have to go 6-0, but we're going to need to see a lot better performance than this Texans game. Yep, and uh, we'll break it all down on the pick six, but a very, very, very good Arizona Cardinals team coming in. And if you thought Deshaun Watson could move, just wait till you see Kyler Murray. So it's going to be a, it's going to be something. It's going to be spicy. It's going to be spicy. Bruno, because we are virtual and we are not in person and we can't time ourselves up, I'm going to leave it to you once again to take us out. All right. Well, ladies and gentlefish, thanks for tuning into this week's episode. Enjoy your Thanksgiving. Enjoy some football. Enjoy some food. Be safe. I saw this on Twitter. It's so true. Stay positive. Test negative. Shout out John Rothstein. I saw that he tweeted it. So anyways, thank you all for listening. And this has been another edition of Playing the Field. Bye, guys. <laughs>